This episode was recorded at 4.30 p.m. PST on Sunday, October 16th, 2022. Things may have changed by the time you're listening to this. You simply will not buy the world that the elders have given them. They see too much hypocrisy in it. They see too many things that are wrong with it. And I think that the elders are going to have to realize that they simply can no longer browbeat youth into following its established path. Welcome back to Sunset Politics, the number 15 politics podcast in Norway. Um, thank you to all of our Norwegian listeners. Um, so this week, we have we have a lot of things to talk about. Uh, but before we get into that, uh, how have y'all been? It's been a while since we've recorded. How's what you've been up to? Yeah. Um, so this is Sam, and things have been pretty good. I... It's midterms for me right now, so I'm in the thick of it, college-wise. Um, but, you know, it's been fun. I've been joining clubs, hanging out. Yeah, how about you guys? It's been... Hi, everybody. This is Molly, by the way. Um, it's been really good. I am actually applying for some jobs right now on campus, so that's exciting. Um, school has been so busy. Um, I'm taking Arabic and an American Ethnic Studies class, which is actually pretty interesting. And I'm taking political economy and that class is like my entire life right now because I think I have 200 pages of reading to do for next week. So super fun, but um, it's been really good. How about you, Story? Yeah, it's uh, it's been good also. I'm also taking a lot of classes, not quite at midterms yet, but I got like one or two more weeks until until I will be. Um, I actually have two midterms on, on one day and then I have uh q to q for the play that i'm in the very next day which is like if you've ever been in a play it's like uh the longest most boring dry rehearsal ever um so that'll be fun uh i also recently applied for a job uh editing for the 538 politics podcast so if anyone's from that team is listening to this uh wink wink (laughs) please accept my (laughs) please accept my offer uh uh but yeah, it's it's uh it's been great. So, uh I think today we're going to start by talking about the January 6th committee which recently had, I believe it's final public hearing um pending uh the results of something else and they ended it with kind of a bombshell where the committee unanimously voted to subpoena Donald Trump to testify. Uh whether or not he will is is uh up in the air. Uh but people th- there's been rumors that um, he would consider doing it, but only if it was live, um, so that he couldn't be taken out of context. And there have been like rumors that uh, the people on the committee would be willing to accept that, but nothing has come forward yet. And I would, I would love to see Trump testify live in front of a hostile yes, panel. Yes. That would be incredible. I don't think it's the the gift that he wants. What do you guys think? <laughs> yeah, I know Representative Kissinger said that the committee would probably have to do some negotiations. There's an article I read earlier today talking about that, how he said that in order to get former President Trump to talk to the committee, there might have to be some things sacrificed, like you said, like it, the hearing being live. Um, and it's really interesting because 
uh, former President Trump actually wrote a letter to the committee and he addressed it to Chairman Benny Thompson. And he did not mention the subpoena, but he talked about how the committee hasn't looked into fraud, how it's all about getting the Democrats like power. And he gave a list of all of the swing states um, and listed off all of the supposed um, election fraud um, like fraudulent votes like there were this many in this county this box was changed or accessed from like a laptop um, and his former attorney general even said that these claims are not true and that they were looked into so it's really interesting and I think it's most important to say that he started off this letter with in all caps the presidential election of 2020 was rigged and stolen and it was really just him again showing his anger about the way that this committee has been handled aka he's he knows that he messed up big time and that his party that he has kind of subcreated like the MAGA Republican party um was part of like lawless action which he claims to be the party of law and order so a little ironic but yeah Sam what about you what are your thoughts yeah for sure so uh I mean I think that the letter was very much so just peak Trump um in professionalism and Trump's kind of like whiny approach to everything, um, which connects into another very interesting aspect of this, which is that Donald Trump was subpoenaed, as uh, we mentioned, and a subpoena must by law be listened to. And obviously there is this debate around whether Trump is going to, uh, you know, actually follow that subpoena. Um, because he has a history of not doing so. Um, I believe that the, the, um, the like, information that was collected in the Mar-a-Lago raid, the raid happened because uh, Donald Trump did not follow a subpoena. And so it will be quite interesting to see, you know, if he does not follow the subpoena, what actions will be taken? Will the committee just take that as it is? Will other actions be taken would it make it like things worse for trump in the long term i'm very i'm curious yeah outside of this trump is in a lot of other legal hot water some of it we've talked about on this show before uh, we've talked about potential outcomes of the mar-a-lago raid there's also in new york city uh or i can't remember if it's city or state uh some district attorney is suing him for uh fraud for essentially making up numbers on his bank statements to try and get more money, uh, which is, you know, very funny. Um, and in Georgia, I think we talked about this also, he's uh, being investigated for um, conspiracy to commit election fraud, I believe, and a few other things. So he is, uh, he's, <laughs> he's not doing the best legally right now. Yeah, for sure. All right, moving on from that, we have... Uh, President Biden recently issued a national security statement, um, which was it was originally going to be uh, released in like March or April, uh, but it was delayed because of uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And it comes out with some pretty harsh language against Russia and Ukraine, uh, repositioning uh, you know those two states as as threats. He said, like, Russia is, like, currently actively trying to, like, destroy the international world order and that China is, like, the only state that's, like, capable of reshaping the entire global system. Um, and he wants to reposition a lot of um, foreign policy to 
uh, countering those uh, influences, which is um, interesting. A lot of people have uh, have critiqued it, this this kind of stance, and have said that the U.S. should take a more uh, defensive posture, a more um, like strategy a la like detente. Um, and uh, there's you know debate back and forth. Uh, what do you guys think of that policy? Yeah, so I just wanted to ask a clarification question because you were mentioning that um, in the in like the statement released by the White House or whatever about the national security policy, you said that they listed Ukraine as a threat. Was that a misspeak Wait, or was I? that true? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I must have meant Russia. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because you were like Russia and Ukraine. Um, but I, yeah, no, I got you. I just wanted to make sure I was like, do I know something? Or do, do I not know something, you know? But yeah, me too. Yes. <laughs> Russia and China make sense for uh historically (laughs) um but yeah no i think that that is definitely very interesting i think that international relations is a very slippery slope that you must approach very carefully a because i believe there's a lot of propaganda that happens in america surrounding international relations and like just misunderstandings about it in general and b war bad uh, in my personal opinion. Um, and so, I mean, it'd be really great if we could avoid war. However, I know the, like, the reality is in other countries, they are experiencing, you know, crises and wars and, you know, disasters that as America, we have been lucky enough to avoid on our home soil. And so I think there is, kind of this line that needs to be walked between taking a like defensive strategy um but also not letting like a huge global superpower continuously take over countries and wreak havoc on you know thousands if not millions of people's lives honestly Sam, you put it up perfectly. Like, I, I would just really echo what you were saying. Um, I think, like you said, international relations is a very slippery slope and can be really complex and deeper than, like, most Americans probably can understand just because, like, of how our news seems to be, like, really focused on, like, our own country a lot of the time, in my opinion, or, like, that's what people tend to put the most attention on. So I think it's interesting that this is, like, the policy. And I'm, like, reading through, or I was reading through earlier, like, the fact sheet about, like, the um national security uh strategy and it was talking a lot about how like story was saying like there's like certain areas that are really like um what's it like emphasized like um like having allies um and also i think i think it's interesting that uh there's a spot that's talking about strategic competition and how we will it literally says we will effectively compete with the people's republic of china to increase the capability to reshape the international order which is really interesting so yeah, that's that's really all my thoughts. Yeah, there's um interesting uh history with China. The United States and China were, I mean, relatively allies for a long time, and that really changed in like 2017 when uh Trump put a bunch of tariffs on them. Uh and a lot of people critiqued this idea for a lot of different reasons, and one of those was that it essentially put Chinese uh and US relations on a a downward trend. Um which has been bad. And so a lot of people have been calling for Biden to essentially try and reestablish uh, 
ties with China. Um, and a lot of other people have been calling for him to totally like get rid of ties to China uh, because of human rights abuses, because of their threats about Taiwan. Um, a lot of people have also said that potentially maintaining, maintaining good ties with China is uh, a better way, one of the better ways to avoid conflicts like that with um, with Taiwan uh, if they know that if they if we're if we're going to keep maintaining good relations if they don't invade Taiwan they're less incentivized to invade Taiwan um, there's lots of different um, different uh, ways of approaching it and President Biden's way of doing it is very hostile and at least in wording to China and it's not necessarily super aggressive but it's um, it's more aggressive than um, a lot of people have, than a lot of American presidents have been for a while. Um, and I'm not sure, I'm not sure where to stand on that. Um, I, I do think the United States uh, should commit to defending Taiwan um, if, uh, you know, China were to invade. Uh, that's, and, and there's a very real chance that they could. Um, that's, we've talked about that before on, on this show in, in depth a while ago, we, we did an episode where we covered Taiwan in, in quite a bit of depth. Um, so it's, it's interesting as for, uh, Russia, I mean, they're obviously invading Ukraine right now. Um, that's, you know, they're obviously posing a very significant threat. Um, but what president Biden seems to be more worried about China, because he said China actually has the capability to try and reshape the, the world order. And Russia is just like an immediate threat to it. That is probably not going to be. Um, it's it, it doesn't have the same staying power, seeing as they're kind of um, losing pretty hard in Ukraine. Um, I don't want to be like too optimistic because they are reestablishing uh, more um, of a presence now, but um, they're it's it's certainly not been the you know take Kiev in a week that they had planned back in March. So it's it's interesting. Um, I do think that uh, President Biden is not paying attention to a lot of uh, a lot of other uh, places in the world that don't seem to get as much attention, particularly the Middle East. Like part of his foreign policy has always been a shift away from the Middle East towards um, towards China. He called it like a pivot to Asia in his campaign, and I think um, his Middle East policy has been very lacking. We've talked about that a few times, particularly in regards to Saudi Arabia. Um, where, you know, go watch our, our, the short that Molly and I did about Saudi Arabia a, a while ago, if you want to get more information on that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, I do think that China does pose a kind of threat. Uh, and I do think that we should do things to, um, prevent that in the way that leads to the best outcome for everyone, uh, <laughs> obviously. Um, but you know, what that is, um, is, hard to describe and it seems like um we're focusing a lot on that and not a lot on other important issues uh but overall it's you know it's it's an okay i don't think it's an egregiously bad security policy i don't think it's like an amazing one um but it, it is it is what it is you summed it up so much better than i could um so thank you for that and thank you for the um like political knowledge that you bring to the table <laughs> um yeah um for sure does anyone have any last thoughts on that before we move on Alrighty, shall we go to the next topic 
Let's do it. So our next topic is the upcoming, um, or actually I think it's already started as of October 3rd, um, the new um, Supreme Court uh, term. And there are some very interesting cases and very controversial cases actually um, that are being, um, what's it called, decided um, this term. And I'm just going to go over if, like one or two in a story or say if you all want to add in another or whatnot. So the first one that I think is interesting is there's a voting rights case, um, which actually this article that I got this information from was published on October 3rd. So this was, this case has already started to be heard, but it is about um, redistricting in Alabama. And the question at issue is um, whether Alabama's redistricting plan from 2021 for the House violated Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act, and the Voting Rights Act Section 2 um, prohibits voting practices or procedures that discriminate on the basis of race, color, or membership in one of the language minority groups. Um, and so the Al Alabama's House map contained one predominantly black district, even though black people make up about a quarter of the state's population. Um, and so a group of voters in Alabama challenged this map in federal court and they argued that it diluted the votes of black people. And so um, a judge panel that had um, two appointees of former President Donald Trump um, agreed with them, which um, really shows that uh, how Alabama has an extensive history of um, racial and voting related discrimination, in my opinion, personally. And the court ordered um, Alabama to create another predominantly black district. But Alabama um, state filed an emergency appeal. And some of the challengers, which include the NAACP, said that if the Supreme Court reversed the lower court's ruling, um, it could have a really bad like, ripple effect and hurt minority representation across the country. So that's, I think, really interesting because... So far, it sounds like um, the three liberal justices have dissented, um, but the sorry, this is a lot of information. But the Supreme Court ruled in February that Alabama could conduct the House elections with its pre preferred map, but they said that they would hear the full case later, which is happening this month. Um, and Justice or Chief Justice John Roberts actually filed his own dissent and said that he affirmed the lower court's decision. Um, but yeah, it's just really interesting. Do either of you have thoughts on that first case or like have anything to add? Yeah, uh, I'm not sure it, I'm not sure how it will go. Um, I think uh, to me, it makes sense. Like the, the, um, the argument against the, the thing, the, the argument that there should be more uh, districts created. Um, yeah, so like the, the, the ruling that the lower court made, um, the Supreme Court tends to have, they tend to want to uh, avoid political questions close to an election. So they, they, it makes sense that they would say, okay, you can go with it for now, but we're going to hear the full case now. So it, it's not going to affect the election, but we're still going to hear the case. Um, I don't think that necessarily means that they're going to swing a certain way. Um, if Roberts is dissenting and you said the three liberals are probably going to dissent, um, it you know there could be one of the five that decides to go you know with the lower court um you know even though it is a, a conservative majority i think it's it's 
it's still possible for them to to rule with the um who's bringing the case is it the NAACP that's bringing the case uh it's brought by black voters all right and so, so it looks voters. like yeah right. NAACP is like backing them basically yeah so it, it would it's not impossible that the court sides with the voters here even though they do tend to be pretty conservative mm-hmm. any other thoughts before i go on to our next uh case All right. So this next one is very controversial and a very like there's actually two cases about this. So affirmative action. Um, So there's students for fair admissions versus Harvard and students for fair admissions versus the University of North Carolina. And so the question at hand here is whether universities attempts to um, make up for past injustices and not allowing like discriminating against non-white people within college admissions have unfairly discriminated against Asian Americans, which is really interesting. Um, cause it, uh, yeah. And so, um, uh, so the precedent here is Greta V. Bollinger, I believe, which is a 2003 case. And the decision in this case was that universities can, can weigh race among other factors when they're going through the admissions process um, and recognize, and they recognize that um, educational diversity is a valid goal of an institution. Um, and so it'll be really interesting, I think, to see how these cases are decided because I know that um, students for fair admissions versus Harvard, like that's been like in the news for a long time now. I, f- I, I feel like this case has been pushed back possibly or gone to lower courts like maybe once or twice because I know I've like heard about this for a while. Um, but yeah, it should be really interesting to see. Um, do you, either of you have any thoughts or anything to add? Yeah, I definitely think that that's really interesting, especially the case that argues that, um, it's like unfair for Asian American students, because I think that usually we get this approach of like white people versus BIPOC, or it's like, you're discriminating against my white child. Um, And so I think that it's really interesting that we have this um, approach that is suing or, like, trying to, like, like going to court over, um, you know, whether equal, like, weighing race is unfair to um, Asian-American students. And I think that that will be really interesting do you i take it that this was raised by someone or a group of asian americans yes it's i think it's yeah a group of students and it looks like from just from the article from the new york times that they're like this back this sorry this man who created the group is a financial advisor named edward blum and he has proved to be like really skilled at finding spots in the country's affirmative act- action practices that he can kind of jump in on and like complain like basically raise a case about so kind of interesting um because yeah. yeah. it's very interesting because i okay i can't speak too much on this because i am not asian american but it feels a little bit like playing into this idea of the model minority and kind of um capitalizing off of that but who knows maybe Maybe there is a case there. Time will only tell. Exactly. For sure. It'll be interesting to see, what, again, like, what they decide. Because I've been, I feel like I've been kind of 
not like following it really closely, but following the, the Harvard case for a while. And I'm really curious to hear what the Supreme Court has to say about it. For sure. Do you have any more cases? Because if not, I have a case. I, I wanted to talk a bit about um, oh, this case. Um, so the, the group that brought these cases, Students for Fair Admissions, is um, it's not it's not explicitly an Asian American group. Um, it's it's like a a politically conservative um, anti affirmative action organization that's existed for a while that includes a lot of Asian Americans in it. I bet, um, but it's not like explicitly like that group. Uh, but there are people like that involved in it. So yeah, and and then the the other stuff that you guys said is is totally spot on. Um, and if we have more, let's go. Thank you, Molly, for all the expertise. Oh yeah, um, Sam. Do you want to you wanted to talk about a case? Yeah. If I mean, do you? Have no, please go ahead. No, no. I, okay. I have like one yeah. or two more, but I think the one that you're talking about might be one of mine. So I'll let you go first. Hey, uh, story here in editing to explain something. Basically, the case that we're about to talk about was decided in 2019. Uh, Sam was reading an old article from 2018, um, but we I decided to leave it in because it's a good discussion about a lesser known case but it's not in the current term, just so you know. Okay, okay. So forgive me if I mispronounce this, but it's either called Neves or Nevis versus Bartlett, which is a First Amendment case based out of Alaska, and it is on whether um, you can uh, bring a First Amendment case if um or a first amendment retaliatory arrest case um if the fourth amendment is followed and the police are like have probable cause or you know if the arrest was fair so um russell bartlett was arrested and charged with disorderly conduct and then resisting arrest um in alaska and bartlett has brought charges against the police department for uh, discriminating, um, like, false arrest and imprisonment based on um, his religion. Um, And so I think that this will be very interesting because... um, Sorry, just a second. Oh, yeah, because it has already been established that... um, if there is probable cause, there's no such thing as retaliatory prosecution, which is a little bit different than retaliatory arrest. Um, but I think that this, you know, is definitely a very big case surrounding, like, the extent that, like, the extent of power cops have. Um, and, you know, I feel like anything that has to do with the First Amendment is always going to be contentious. However, the Supreme Court definitely has a history of siding with um, police and like kind of upholding whatever means necessary for police to continue policing. So we shall see. Okay, wait, one second. I googled the name of the case, and there's a there's one that came up that was decided in 2019. Is this the same mm-hmm. case? If that is, that's really embarrassing. Just a second. I'm on. I I was look. The American Bar did me dirty, and it brought me up an old article. We'll just edit that out. (laughs) It's fine. Sorry. I was trying to, like, be a part of the conversation, but 
the yeah. American <laughs> Bar Association put that out in 2018. Anyways. Okay. Well, it's uh, we might keep it in. It's a good discussion about an old case. Um, <laughs> exactly. Do, well, yeah, so what, was the the, what was the re- result? The They ruled that um, probable cause should generally defeat a retaliatory arrest claim brought under the First Amendment unless officers under the circumstance would typically exercise their discretion not to make an arrest. Um, so from, from my interpretation of that, it means that like... Um, that they're saying that the cops are, are in the right, basically. Yeah, that checks out. Not Like, not, like, with cops being in the right, but, like, SCOTUS siding with cops. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll just talk about one last one. Like, this one isn't one of, like, the ones that they're like, oh, my gosh, like, this is going to change America. But, like, I think this one's really interesting because I personally, like, I'll, I'll give my thoughts after I explain it. But our next case is um, 303 Creative versus Ellenis. I believe is how you say this person's name, which is about whether a state law can compel a private in, or sorry private business to serve LGBTQ plus clients, or whether the First Amendment protects business owners who violate those laws on religious grounds. Um, and so basically, there was a website designer, and. Uh, they wanted to expand their business to offer personal wedding sites, but not for LGBTQ plus couples, which is actually a requirement um, by the state of Colorado's non-discrimination laws. And so basically, like the reason this case is such a big deal is it will address um, the conflict between a person's free exercise of religion, um, which obviously is guaranteed by the First Amendment, and the state's power to enforce the equal treatment of all people. Um, and so, I don't know, I think this case is, like, really interesting, and obviously, also the question is, like, does the website designer's free speech and artistic expression, like, is that, like, what this is really about? Is it about, like, religious motivation? Like, what is it really about? But, I don't know, what are your guys' thoughts on this? Um, I think that it is very interesting because we have a similar Supreme Court case that we can look at with um, I forget the name of it but when the like whether a business can deny a gay couple from gaining business so personally I think that this hypothetically should be a cut and dry case however we know that the Supreme excuse me the Supreme Court has begun to shift to a more right-leaning perspective. And so there is a chance that that uh, precedent will be overturned. Um, So I think that it will be interesting to see. Like, I'm going to be real honest with you guys. I feel like it's definitely just an excuse to be queerphobic and, like, just they don't like queer people. I don't think it has anything to do with quote-unquote artistic expression. Like, no, just be straight up and, you know say that you don't like queer people but yeah we'll see yeah. we'll see how things go yeah the um the other case i think that you're probably talking about was um masterpiece cake shop v colorado uh, yeah, which was right. the the baking a cake one um that the the cake shop actually ended up winning on a technicality um they oh, were basically really? just like they found like some like official that said that they said like prejudice was prejudiced against him for his religion, so they dismissed the case. But they didn't actually make a ruling on the broader question. 
uh, Sadao, they have a chance to make that again. And it's it's a bit different this time because the other ca case is about baking a cake, and this one is about like designing a website. And the argument would be that like designing a website is more evidently an act of creative expression than baking a cake. Um, and the Supreme Court tends to, across all time, they tend to support free speech over a lot of other things. Um, even if I don't think it makes sense to in this case, they probably will, that probably will be the way they rule. Um, and you know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't agree with that. I, I think that like once you, if you're, um, if you're a business, even if you're doing creative work for your business, you're kind of putting yourself out into the, the marketplace and there are certain rules that you have to abide by, one of which is non-discrimination. Um, and so I think if you like took this, if there was like regulations from like the FCC on like swearing on television, you probably wouldn't find that unconstitutional because that's just like, that's just a regulation, um, uh, that you just, that you have to do no matter what. Um, so yeah, I think, uh, I think the Supreme Court is probably going to rule with the, the web designer, even though I think that's the wrong ruling. And like Sam said, it's just an excuse to be queerphobic. So yeah. yeah. Thank you for correcting me on that case. I don't know why I thought that the, like gay couple one wishful thinking i guess um but yeah thank you for that unfortunate correction i mean i just can't believe like like you were saying like both of you like especially if it's like a business like when you run a business why does it matter what people are doing with what you're making like they're buying it from you like why won't you like sell some like i don't know because it's a product that somebody's paying you for. So your personal beliefs should not be involved in that process of whether you'll like sell something to somebody. I don't know. I just like what we're like, what we're talking about. Like, it just doesn't make sense in my head to be like, no, you don't have to sell something to somebody just because you disagree with like their sexual orientation or like their identity. Like, why does that matter? I don't know. I just, some of these cases I think are really scary actually, because it just proves like, even though it's 2022, people still have very backwards beliefs. And I think it's really scary. Yeah, for sure. And it's, like, one of those things where for, a, like, a party that claims to really love capitalism, you are limiting the amount of money that you're making for yourself. Like, you're like, oh, woo, small businesses. And then you're like, actually, I only want certain customers. I don't know. I just think, I think it's silly and goofy and kind of arbitrary that you would deny someone because of their, like, gender identity or sexual orientation or anything like that exactly. yeah and it just shows how like the supreme court unfortunately even though they're not supposed to be politically like aligned whatever you want to say like it really has become very partisan on the supreme court unfortunately and it's really sad because they should be making decisions based off of the constitution in a modern in my opinion in a modern sense because we can't use the constitution in the context of when it was written for 2022 that doesn't make sense but they, they just won't, I don't know, I just think it's super unrealistic that so many of these justices are so firm in their ways and they won't change and that they're basically, again, going off of their own personal religious beliefs to make these decisions. It's just not fair. And those kind of people should not be allowed to sit on the Supreme Court, which does not have term limits. But that's just me. Facts. Facts dropped. Mike dropped. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, there's just, it's, just, it's been so much, like... The, uh, 
the fact that we're even considering like the political leanings of the Supreme Court is like it's an affront to the institution in and of itself. It should it should not be a, a partisan institution. It's supposed to be insulated from politics. And I tend to be of the mind that it's that there's a lot more potential for them to make um like less biased arguments than a lot of people, but like still we shouldn't be considering it. Like if you read like the opinion in Dobbs, the case that overturned Roe v. Wade, it's like dripping with political bias. Like every like paragraph, it's like something that like doesn't make any legal sense, and it's just like an attack against the pro-choice side. It's yeah, um, but yeah, uh, may may the Supreme Court be better than we think it is. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Any last thoughts? before we move on i don't think so i think we are ready to go to our midterms and oregon governor race section of our show for today so if either of you want to take us off go ahead yeah um so the oregon governor's race has kind of been in the news recently because it's really close um which it shouldn't be uh it, it hasn't been in a long time um, but there's actually like a, a almost a 50-50 chance that Oregon elects a Republican governor, which it hasn't done for decades, I think. Um, and it's because of this woman, uh, Betsy Johnson, who is um, running as an independent. She used to be a Democrat, but she was like a very conservative Democrat. Um, and so she's basically like saying like everything that a Republican would well, not everything, but, like, most of the things that a Republican would, um, and, like, running as an independent and is actually drawing a lot of votes. She's at, I think she's pulling at, like, 20% or something. Um, it's been it's been going down, um, as independent candidates tend to, but um, her campaign is still a lot bigger than a lot of people thought it would be, and it's, it's making the Oregon governor's race a toss-up when it, it hasn't been forever. Yeah, for sure. I mean... In case you guys didn't know, Oregon is a notoriously blue state, has been for a really long time. Um, it is, like, if you look at, like, a map of, um, like, any given state, usually the hub of blue, even in a blue state, will be in a major city, which it, you know, Portland is majority blue, but you will also see... A lot of blue um like along the coastline and even going south really the majority of red is in um eastern oregon but point being is that it is uncommon to have like larger blue spaces outside of a city which oregon does have i digress point is portland is or pardon me oregon is a very like historically blue state and so it is very interesting that we have this um you know very contentious and very kind of like neck and neck race for the governor um it will be very interesting i think um especially as someone who grew up in portland i think that the response from portlanders especially if we were to have a Republican governor would be quite wild, especially considering that most Portlanders do not like the mayor of Portland, who is, he, he's a Democrat, I guess, but, but we don't like him. I, I don't like him, at least. In, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> we can edit that out. 
we can edit that out. Um, but no, not that. Sorry, something think... else. Something oh. else. I just read. Oh, 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 oh okay. Um, but yeah, I think it will be very interesting to see how how the how the votes turn out and how voters respond. Um, okay, this is a little funny. So I was reading an article about the Oregon like governor race and it's talking about how like Phil Knight has given money and to endorse um Betsy Johnson how he's super anti Tina Kotek and um then I'm like reading down right and it's talking about how Christine Christine Drazen had a campaign rally in central I really want to see your faces when I say this had a campaign rally in central Oregon and one of the featured speakers was BJ Soper who is a far-right activist um like, or sorry, actually, this is as funny as I thought it was, but I think it's funny because it has to do with Constitution team, which our listeners, I'm sorry, you might not get this, but it's a little funny. So the group that this guy is in was established by Ammon Bundy, who led the armed takeover <laughs> of the Oregon Wildlife Refuge, <laughs> which is a huge thing in our Constitution team question for this year. Um, and apparently, um, Christine Drazen's campaign was absolutely in shock about this news they claim and they said they said that they did not organize the event and that christine does not know who mr stopper is but i'm like that seems a little suspicious if you ask me i don't know yeah a little weird <laughs> yeah. that is wait so this this was at uh christina kopeck's like or rally? christine christine drazen she's the republican oh 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 yeah oh yeah interesting oh yeah no it's tina kopeck isn't it Kotech. Anyways, yeah. Kotech. Y'all, I, I leave Oregon for like one month and all my knowledge is already out of my <laughs> brain. Um, but yeah, no, that'll be very interesting. And as well as a um, kind of newsworthy governor race within midterms in general and midterm elections around the countries, we are seeing some very important bills being brought to light. Um, One that has really stood out to me is Oregon, along with some other states, too, um, are looking to pass laws that would outlaw the use of prisoners for slave labor, because if you didn't know, the Constitution allows prisoners to work for slave labor um or like work as slave labor and so these bills would be um addressing the rights of prisoners and making sure that um if prisoners choose to work they are being treated fairly paid fairly um being kept safe and you know kind of creating this uh standard of safety and care for um incarcerated workers Yeah, uh, I I hope all these measures pass. Um, it's it's a huge issue that doesn't get talked about a ton, um, and I I I hope it gets I hope they all get passed. I'll certainly be voting to do that in yeah, Oregon. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Also, before we are, is that everything we wanted to talk about for like this section, or is there anything else? I had a couple other things. Okay, one quick thing is. I don't know how I came across this, but apparently Marjorie Taylor Greene was debating somebody like her. The I forget the guy she's running against his name, Marcus Flowers, and apparently 
she claimed like on that like on tv live that she was a victim of the january 6th riot and she not only insulted the moderator by the way but then she starts talking about how her husband has evidence of election fraud and how um the democratic party like basically traffics children (laughs) and what did she say exactly oh sorry the democrats were a party of child abuse like, yeah, yeah, right. I have all these names. Um, what's the guy? McCarthy. He he time traveled to the future to give me the, the list. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> oh, yes. Oh, God. Um, but on the topic of um, ballot measures, there's another big one in Oregon that's been getting a lot of attention. Measure 114, uh, which would require uh, background checks, uh, safety training, and a fee uh, for a permit to acquire firearms. Um among other things relating to gun control, which I think is really cool. That's um, really good. Gun control is something we've talked about a lot in this show. It's an issue that's important to all of us. Um, and I'm, you know, I hope this, this measure in Oregon passes to hopefully do something about that. Yeah, for sure. It's a really interesting measure. My one critique is I, I feel like uh, putting a fee into gun ownership is a very quick way to bar people who genuinely need guns from having guns i think that the lower class is continually targeted and while i am absolutely for common sense gun reform and like you know making it yeah like making sure that the wrong people don't get guns um i think that gun reform can very easily target minorities um yeah, and so I don't know how I feel about having the fee, but I think it is awesome that there this measure would require like classes and more in-depth background checks and like all these things that will help you become a more responsible and smart gun owner. I agree. Yeah. Interesting, um, interesting point. Um, definitely a good thing to consider. Yes. And then, oh, one thing I wanted to mention: we were talking about uh, the mayor of Portland earlier, and he has actually in power because of a third party candidate that split the vote. Um, uh, uh, there was, you know, during the mayoral race, there was uh, Ian Aron and um, Sarah Ian who got very close to winning and someone, um, what's her name, Teresa Rayford, ran as an, uh, a write-in and ended up pulling enough votes to prevent um, Ian Aron from beating Wheeler. So it's an unfortunate reality of systems like this, but uh, when there are two candidates, oftentimes, um, third parties tend to pull away from the candidate they're closer to and can allow the other one to win. Um, and, you know, from, you know, Rayford was a, a great candidate. I, I kind of wish that she had uh, ended up doing better, but um, she ended up just being essentially a spoiler. everyone we have reached the point in the show where we're gonna do our personal favorite segment what the heck were they thinking story do you want to take us away yeah uh so the first the first one comes to us from uh georgia where uh candidate herschel walker um had a a a bit of a a a bad thing (laughs) resurge uh well not necessarily a, a horrible thing but um 
a bad thing for his campaign. Um, and that was that he had a, was it a mistress or was it just someone that he had dated previously? Um, I think someone he had before dated. Before his marriage. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I just, I just want to be clear. Um, but he ended up, uh, that person ended up getting pregnant and, uh, Walker paid for, uh, her to get an abortion. Uh, nothing wrong with that. Um, unless you're a Republican and you're super pro-life, um, and you're running for office. So, um, because that will, will hurt your chances. Um, if you're, you know, he's, he's uh, espoused a bunch of pro-life stances. Um, and you know, the fact that this, you know, came up from his past is, uh, has hurt him in the polls a, a decent amount. Um, not like a ton, but a decent amount. Uh, there've been a lot of Republicans that have said, it doesn't matter. He's you know, better than uh, Raphael Warnock, which I don't think he is. I love Raphael Warnock. Um, he's great. May he be present someday. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, yeah, it's, and also the, the big funny part is that um, his son, uh, Christian Walker, who's a very popular, like, TikTok influencer, um, has essentially, like, disowned him, has basically said, yeah, like, my dad was a really bad dude um, for a lot of reasons. Um and I'm, I'm not like supporting him. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of Christian Walker, but good props to him for, for this. Yeah, for sure. That's, uh, the hypocrisy of Republicans. We, we see it so often. <laughs> okay. Um, I will go on and do my, what the heck were they thinking? Uh, this one is slightly less political, but nevertheless ridiculous. So, um, the CEO of the company, like, slash brand Beyond Meat, which makes fake meat, or, like, vegan, vegetarian-friendly meat, was arrested because he bit a man's nose. Um, so... That's not, yeah, not, not very vegetarian of him. He, the CEO is leaving the company. Um, it happened, like, apparently outside of a football game. They got into an argument or, like, this was, it was, it was a football fight. They were fighting over sports and he bit another man's nose. Um, so... I think that one speaks for itself. I don't have much to say about that. Don't bite people's noses, I guess. Um, wild times that we live in. Yeah, um, he was truly going beyond meat there. Um. <laughs> so true. <laughs> that one made Leif laugh, too. <laughs> Leif, say hi. Hi. Um, that was, that was... Um, an old guest that we had who's now hovering. Respectfully. Yes. <laughs> All right. So our last what the heck were they thinking for the day um, is actually about we get to talk about former President Donald Trump one more time. So apparently um, President Trump's um, team told the National Archives officials a few months before the documents were retrieved from Mar-a-Lago um, that the 15 boxes he had of at, like what were discovered to be classified documents were news clippings. So I think that one kind of speaks for itself, but um, I don't know why he would have 15 boxes of news clippings. I mean, 
he is a bit of a narcissist, so I wouldn't be surprised if they were, like, about himself, but I just thought that was kind of funny that they literally said that they were news clippings when they were in reality classified documents. Any thoughts? Yeah. I'm sure that the FBI wanted to raid a home for news clippings. I know that, like, that's really top on the FBI's priority list. They were actually classified news clippings. Um, <laughs> they were they were all the, the media lies that were coordinated by the media and the, the by government. By the blue-haired liberals. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they were all, they were all, Trump was going to release them all to the public to show, like, um, the truth about the election. Um, but the FBI raided it to, to stop him. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it's definitely not perjury, guys. Definitely not. That was all, all sarcastic, if anyone couldn't tell. Because you can't see a story laughing right now. Yeah. Wild times, wild news stories. Uh, we'll never run out of things to talk about here on What the Heck Were They Thinking? Because people never run out of stupid things to do Indeed. and on that note <laughs> and on that note sunset out <laughs> <laughs>